Good morning. It's Nicole on Coleology. And today I have a guest. This is a special day for me. Um, all the guests that I've had on Coleology, I either know very intimately or I've had some type of relationship with them through them being my professor or knowing them in the professional realm. And today I have somebody on the line that I have never met, and it was through Facebook Live um, that I engaged him in being on this podcast. So I'm just kind of excited to share a whole new um, adventure of branching out and doing it with complete strangers. So today I have JP Sears on the phone with me. Good morning, and thank you for doing this. Hey, Nicole. You're very welcome. I'm very pleased to be here with you. Yeah, thank you. And for those who don't know who he is, J.P. Sears is an emotional healing coach, YouTuber, author, international teacher, speaker at events, world traveler, and a curious student of life. He wor- His work empowers people to live more meaningful lives. J.P. is an author of How to Be Ultra Spiritual, Sounds True Publishing, release, just released March 7th, 2017. Congratulations. Thank you. He is a very, he's very active with his online videos where he encouraged healing and growth through his humorous and entertainingly informative videos, including his hit Ultra Spiritual Comedy Series, which has accumulated over 100 million views. You can learn more about JP and his work at awakenwithjp.com, and I will um, have all the links listed with the SoundCloud um, and on my social media, so you guys can find him through the links. Um, So good morning. Hey, Nicole, and good morning to you. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you very much. Um, So so I've... uh, totally followed you on your, um, little, um, ultra spiritual series. I think you're hysterical. And this morning when I was telling him I didn't have a direction and (laughs) I didn't have a direction, anybody who has listened to any of his series, what did you say? I really like your Direction, no oh, direction. Yeah, I, I like your directionless direction. I, I think it's, <laughs> it's like planning for open space of spontaneity, um, which I, I think is very paradoxical but very true. And, of course, the, the nature of, not, of having a conversation, which uh, you and I are doing, where it's, uh, we get to honor the fact that we're two living human beings and there's spontaneity between us. So I love the the directionlessness of that. It means it's not premeditated. Uh, so yeah, nonetheless, I, I'm uh, excited by your format. Thank you. And I just thought it was like so something you would say on one of your videos. So. <laughs> <laughs> Well, maybe maybe I'm filming a video on my end, Nicole. Oh well, maybe maybe you are. Are you? But, no. no. <laughs> Why do you ask? <laughs> I don't know. I just thought maybe, considering you just threw it out there. <laughs> no, that was a diversion. <laughs> nice one. Um, so yeah, so you just released a book, right? Yes, March 7th. So my my baby has been birthed into the world for a little over a month now. And I've, uh, to me, the 
it's a thrill to have it released into the world. And I'm also delighted to say that the book for me was a win. It was very fulfilling before a single other person ever got their hands on it. Mm. It was a, a quite a rite of passage for me to go through in the writing process. Very meaningful, very enjoyable, also very intimidating and scary. And I, I think that's part of what made it so meaningful to me. So uh, to me, it's almost just like a weird bonus. Like, oh, other people are buying it and reading it. That's cool. Kind of like did it for me. Oh, so is this something you have been working on for a long time, or is it something that you just kind of like spontaneously decided, like, hey, I have a book in me, I'm going to write something? It uh, well, it, it's kind of been a while. I'll, I'll I'll share the the little book journey from conception, which I guess means in this anal- analogy, there's some kind of book sex involved if it was conceived, and then the gestation period, and then the. <laughs> The birthing here last month. So it was uh, uh, May 2015. Gosh, so that's coming up on two years ago at this point. So May 2015, publishers started to approach me with interest in um, publishing a book of mine, which it's kind of like simple business math. When, when publishers see someone grow big enough following the business sense of them says, well, if their following is big enough, then we'll most likely be able to easily sell X amount of copies, and that's good for business. So, uh, and and I think the reputable publishers uh, need to believe in you and your message and what you're doing. So nonetheless, when publishers started to approach me, that that's what gave me the idea of writing a book, specifically a comedy book. Yeah, and it, it had always been in the back of my mind, really a desire of mine. Like I want to write a book one day. Cool. And I think that the proverbial one day for me was going to be like, oh, you know, when I in the future when I'm older. But I was thinking, like, okay, that the book will be from a, you know, just like a serious perspective like a I guess a normal book but when they put the idea on the table for a comedy book that really appealed to me like you know the feeling inside of me was like yes this is yeah like it's a green light for me and uh so I, I I guess I officially started writing the book in uh Probably late July 2015, and the first draft was finished by October, so I guess about two and a half months worth of writing. Whoa, that's like fast. Yeah, I guess that's what people tell me. Mm -hmm. Um, I was, uh, I mean, it's the only thing I've ever known, so uh, that's what happened for me, and I was very consistent writing every single day. And, and I guess it, it came out yeah, relatively fast and, of course, lots of editing afterwards. So here's the punchline. You know, the book had been, the, at least the first draft of it, had been finished about a year and a half before it was published. And that, that sort of wait time for me is weird because normally I'm used to videos and digital, of course, moves faster than print right so i'm i'm used to like i'll film a video in the the next day i'll publish it sometimes like later the same day i'll publish it 
And so with the book, it's like, wow, the creative process had been over for a year and a half. It's like, okay, it was conceived and then it was gestating in the womb for a year and a half. And then finally it came out a much slower um pregnancy, I guess, than an actual human child. Right. Well, I have so many questions. Okay. So first, um, are you, so did you go to school to become a therapist? So like, is is this like all rooted in, um, therapy and consciousness? Well, no, uh, I, I have about three months of college under my belt and I went long enough to know that I don't want to go to college. So I quickly hit the eject button. Uh, the, but my background though, for the past 15 years has been doing emotional healing coaching with people. So specifically under the coaching umbrella rather than a, a licensed therapist umbrella. So my education is lots of alternative based, uh, courses and, uh, teachers who I've been able to work with rather than the traditional collegiate style, uh, education, which I don't know what's wrong with me or what's right with me, but that just doesn't vibe with me. Yeah, that's cool. It's like, you know, everybody works and processes and learns different ways, you know? Um, Yeah. Okay, so like what type of non-traditional work got you into emotional healing? Yeah, well, uh, well, emotional healing education. So one of my main mentors is a guy named John McMullen. And his organization is called Journeys of Wisdom. Mm. So John's story uh, is in 1980, he had a car accident, had an out-of-body experience, came back into his body, just not the same. You know, Mm -hmm. very apparently tapped into uh, something that he wasn't tapped into before. So the, the, the man is simply a very wise, insightful human being. So I've had the pleasure of taking it's hundreds and hundreds of hours worth of his uh, weekend workshops and four and five day classes. Uh, so uh, amongst other things, that sort of alternative education where I basically find people who um, I resonate with, people who I would consider wise people, and then I learn from them. Yeah, that's great. Yeah. I mean, I, I have a traditional education. Um, well, I went to a holistic school, so it's not completely clinical, but I think that um, my most potent trainings were out of the non-traditional realm. So yeah, um, I, yeah there's something, I think you're speaking to something important and wise in, in the healing world anyway. Um, and then, so have you always been kind of a comedian too? Well, that's, uh, uh, I think the answer is really yes. Yeah. Uh, I, I don't have any kind of professional background in comedy. Well, I didn't until I started doing comedy videos. And then, you know, since then that's opened the door for live performances and fun stuff like that. Uh, so my non-professional background in comedy honestly it's really rooted in my childhood I mean for one I've always had a sense of humor and you know kind of become the comedian when there's a group of people around 
And in that, I think it's got its roots in the shadow side of life. Right. Uh, like, I, I think so many great gifts actually do come from the shadow side, from our painful experiences. Agreed. Yeah. So, in, in like, at the time, it's like, well, this is a curse, but later on it becomes a great blessing. So, my sense of humor as a child, I think its function was largely to help me escape the pain of feeling insignificant. Because mm. I learned if I can make someone laugh, then mm. for like seven minutes, I feel pretty significant. I feel like I matter to them. Yeah. And that allows me to have like a seven minute escape from the feelings of insignificance uh, I have inside that I don't know how to actually heal, process, and deal with vulnerably. So given that the the shelf life of gratification and feeling significant was about, you know, seven minutes, it meant I had to uh, get many repetitions, thousands and thousands of repetitions of making people laugh. Yeah. And because I would function out of my neediness, like I need to make people laugh, it, I, I would say it, it helped me get pretty good at reading people, mm. understanding pretty quickly, what do I need to say to make this person laugh? Right. And then, of course, the, the other component would be the delivery. So it's like I you know, kind of got my black belt, if you will, in comedy because I, I had to <laughs> uh, practice it and execute it uh, so often. Yeah. Um, so, so really like, well, and I think that that's kind of the thing that you, or I've like kind of noticed with most comedians is like, they have a pretty dark shadow side. I mean, and, and it's also something like, it's not uncommon for the comedians to like die from overdose or suicide or thing like that. So like, so you, you carried around some deep sense of like pain, basically I'm hearing. And the way yeah. you coped with it was through um, humor. Yeah, and I think your your word is very precise. I coped with it. Didn't really deal with it. Right. It's like I dealt with it by not dealing with mm-hmm. it, which is a coping strategy. And right. And and I love your perspective about how like a lot of comedians they'll they'll become addicts, and some of them will die because of it or suicide so I think with comedy and many other art forms but comedy I guess is just the one at hand it it, it may have originated in pain yeah and, and therefore originally become a mechanism of me and other comedians escaping themselves mm-hmm. so I, I think if there's not new consciousness brought to that then that strategy that's originally designed essentially to save us, it will eventually destroy us. Yeah. So I, I think for me it was very important. My first chance encounter with the mentor I mentioned, John McMullen, he really helped me connect to myself beneath, you know, the, the material in my heart, if you will, the pain, trauma, wounding, and the good stuff too. Yeah. Underneath the hard shell I had created around my heart, he helped me connect with that. So instead of comedy being forever a force that takes me away from myself, which eventually could be the demise, 
now I believe comedy, at least my intention, is for it to be an act of self-awareness, mm. connection to myself. Yeah. Um, you <laughs> yeah. know, not, not a force of shaming myself and escaping myself, but under compassionately actually understanding myself more and hopefully being driven deeper into who I am. Uh, so that's um, uh, hopefully uh, what will keep me from being destroyed by the very thing that saved me as a kid. Well, and I think that this is interesting that you're speaking to this because like, um, so I had noticed or heard when you said what you were doing with escaping, like the escapism for seven minutes, but then it was also like uh, you were speaking about the attunement to another versus the attunement to yourself. So there was like some type of like feedback loop of like uh, knowing another, reading another, navigating through other, and then um, and then like using the comedy to make them laugh to have self worth, right? Where it's kind of interesting because like when I and and maybe this is speaking to the work that you're doing but what I love what I love about your comedy is like it a lot of comedy is hysterical but but it's rooted in like um or my opinion of it it's like you could feel the heaviness and the darkness and we're all you're laughing you're laughing but but like it's laughing through the pain which I think in and in and of itself is sometimes very healing because you're talking about the things that are very taboo, like comedy talks about about those things that we don't we don't address. I think um, collectively um, in order to heal. But something about what you were just saying about doing your deep work and then that being the guide to kind of make you still do comedy but bring you to a deeper sense of self. Like something about your comedy is hysterical and and it's. It's also like it doesn't feel like the, it's an attack on self. Like it's kind of um, it's kind of making light of some social constructs or things that, especially people who are spiritual. And I happen to live in the Bay Area, so uh, I find I find your series hysterical because I do some of these things. But I mean, it's sure. um, and so do all of my friends. Like right now, I'm sitting on my meditative pad, looking at an elephant with its trunk up and (laughs) and I have my little like yeah yeah it's like I can I can totally laugh at your stuff but it doesn't feel like it's rooted in self-hate it's hysterical it's kind of like somehow um making you look at things but it doesn't feel like there's this vein of self-hate and maybe you can speak to that yeah, well, uh, first off, I love your perspective. I uh, I have the same perspective. That's probably why I love it. It's like, well, I, I agree with Nicole. So oh, let well, me pretend she's right. Well, then, um, c- well, keep on going with that for a second. <laughs> you love it. In, in, in the, the, the potential vein of self hate with comedy, I think that's real. And I think that's the easy way. To get laughs, and and I think they're cheap laughs. Why I say they're cheap laughs is because they're at the expense of self yeah. or other people, yeah. which actually honestly makes them very expensive laughs that are shallow in nature. So to me, comedy is uh, a a strong 
energy. It's mm-hmm. humor to me is like an alchemist, and like any any uh, thing of power, there's a light side and a shadow side. Potential for construction and benefit, and a potential for destruction and detriment on the shadow side. So with with comedy that comes from a vein of self hate, where someone is. Uh, shaming themselves what they're doing in my opinion is they're hurting their hurt yeah if their comedy arises from their pain then what they're doing to their pain is hurting it more yeah and that's oftentimes uh, just a replication of uh uh uh, patterns of self-treatment they learned in childhood it's like if someone's hurt well let me hurt them Right. It's just bullying behavior that's uh, in, uh, self-inflicted. And then, of course, comedy at other people's expenses. And, you know, we, we know about the idea of making fun of people. It is just bullying. It can get laughs. And it's the easy way out. And it hurts. It doesn't help. Right. And then from a different perspective, I think when we can have a level of vulnerability with ourselves and a level of understanding with ourselves, then we can hopefully invoke the light side of humor, which, which can actually help us transform our pain, replace some of the gravity with levity and rather than actually just inflicting more pain on our pain. And, and to me, it takes, Honestly, more sensitivity, vulnerability to be able to do that. And, and it, that's the place I, I really intend to come from. And accordingly, it means what I'm doing comedy on, It's it, it means it has to be things that are in my life, things that I respect. Uh, in fact, I, I, I don't want to do videos about topics I don't respect. Like, uh, you know, for instance, Scientology. I think I could make a very funny video on Scientology. I think it could get a lot of views. But it would be coming from a condescending, judgmental energy because, I, you know, Scientology isn't near and dear to me. It's something that I, I have some judgments and stereotypes uh, about. So if I were to do a video on Scientology, it would actually be using humor to hurt as the mechanism of getting laughs I love, rather than understanding and acceptance and essentially seeing the unseen as a way of getting laughs, which I think is more constructive. See, I love, I love that you're speaking to this. So, and I kind of, I kind of go, it's weird. My experience, I feel like we all have like an experience in the world and, and there's like a fractal nature that unfolds. And my experience, I have many experiences within my experience, but one of, one of my experiences that I'm going to speak to is that I have this thing where like, I'll totally dive deep and, and, um, get something. And then it kind of like goes away and it's maybe like, functioning unconsciously in the background and then it will kind of come back and and when I'm learning it kind of comes up as like oh my gosh I got this and I have this big huge aha and then I'm like oh wait a second um wait what was that like it was that was deep (laughs) and so um 
I like that you're speaking to the place or intention of where you're putting your energy. So when I had started my master's program, I was really, and this was like five years ago now, I was really um, in a space of like, I didn't want to engage and it, it's difficult. It takes a lot. It takes a lot of energy to not engage in things that like you don't respect. Because I think, yeah. like, unfortunately, um, a lot of the ways people are conditioned and then um, and were raised is that like we can easily connect or relate or have relationships with um, when we're connecting in. Um, maybe a more superficial realm or something of that nature through judgments, right? So like even when we're growing up in elementary school, like I mean like that's how you see most little kids um, relate and that's why, you know, there's like a hierarchy. It's like, yeah, we don't like her or whatever, you know, like she's not wearing the right pants and I think it kind of starts, it kind of starts there and Somewhere along my journey, I was, I realized like, oh my gosh, like I can't, I can't do this anymore. That's not the energy I want to be putting out. And, um, so I had this big, huge, like I would say like two year journey where I was being very cautious and wise with my words. Um, and I was being very careful in what I would engage in, but what I found on, on top of it, just it felt good. Okay, so it felt good to live in the world this way. I felt kind of, um, lack of better words, like clean. I felt like very, um, like my conscious conscience wasn't heavy or something. Um, and but the thing was, is I also found it isolating um, because a lot of people aren't in the space and, and maybe you can speak to this or, or tell me how you've learned. Um, yeah, maybe you could just speak to this. Um, a lot of people don't know how to connect when it's not connecting through those things. So, sure. so what have you found? So anyway, I've, I, so I've gone back and forth with it and, and also like in that fractal nature, I'll like completely hold it and then I'll kind of like back out and like, not be totally the way I was before, but like, you know, I'll have threads of it and then I'll catch myself and I'll go back in. And each time there's a bigger unfolding and, um, space and learning lesson in it, but I, I still find it more difficult to, um, connect. Yeah. It, it's pretty interesting when the, what I would call the, the fist of punishment is the way we've learned to connect with people. And I honestly, I, I think that's a universal uh, element in humankind. The question is how much does it pervade our lives and can we recognize how that plays out? I think our friend Eckhart Tolle, you know, he always talks about the pain body and and what pain loves is to feel more pain because when, when the painful part of us feels more pain, when that more pain is getting inflicted on it, it feels a sense of connection. So when we learn to connect through pain, then we replicate that because it's, it's the best way to connect that we've learned up mm. until a certain point. And, and it's easy. 
it, it doesn't invoke the one of the greatest fears of humankind, which is vulnerability. Uh, it's easy to connect through pain. Is it painful? Yes. And is it pleasurable because it's a connection and that's way better than complete disconnection? Yes. Mm. So mm. And that, yeah. that can be one of the reasons why we engage in relationships. Some of them are abusive to degrees and others are, they're not overtly abusive, but it's kind of like, wow, we're, our conversations revolve around drama and criticism, maybe of other people, maybe of ourselves, but either way, they're revolving around pain, basically. And, And if we're participating in it, we're drinking in some of that pain. And then, of course, I think how we relate to ourselves Oftentimes, we don't know how to really relate to ourselves unless we're coming from a place of victimization, which basically means another part of us is inflicting pain on ourselves so that we can be the victim. So it's the idea of whether it's comedy or relationships that transcend pain. To me, the challenge is how do we get connection without it being through the familiarity of pain? Yeah. Belittlement. Yeah. E- easy question to ask. And it's, it's probably actually easy to answer too, but it's a challenge to actually embody and live the answer. And, and the answer as my delusional mind uh, knows it, or at least believes it to be, the answer is we have to replace the, um, the you know, uh, enforcing of pain and the receiving of pain. We have to replace that with vulnerability. Yeah. Um, which I, to me, when we're inflicting pain or receiving pain from other people, and that's our, how we connect in the relationship, we're really coming from a place of having a hard shell. Yeah. It's like we connect our hard shell to their hard shell. But after a couple of decades of doing that, we might wake up and realize like, wow, we're rubbing our shells together here. And it's, it's not much of a connection. Right. In fact, it kind of hurts. So to me, becoming the, the turtles who take off their shells Mm. and become vulnerable. And mm-hmm. we actually, instead of covering up our pain, we can become vulnerable with it, and we, which means we can be vulnerable with our true desires, our true perspectives, yeah. you know, our true self as well. So I, I think the reason why it's so hard for us to go to a place of vulnerability is it's scarier than being in a place of just sheer pain. So I think a willingness to feel the discomfort of vulnerability is what allows us to connect with ourselves and other people in a deeper, more constructive, healthy way. Yeah, I think like you just said a lot, like, because like as you were talking, I was like, yes, yes. And then I was having like, you know how like you're processing and having insights, Um I, I would imagine that you're an awesome emotional healing coach. Okay, so um, oh, thank you for that. No, I'm being serious because like you're you're saying some really deep shit. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, so I'm thinking like yeah. So it, in my example, it's like well, I, I was judging right. Like there was 
there was some judgment of like, oh, well, I'm, it's more difficult to connect. But I think in your example, I was also realizing like, oh, yeah, well, I, and I think my um, observing ego, I, I like to say I'm very reflective. I, I go to therapy. Like, I, I do a lot of work, um, consciousness work. So I feel like I'm, I'm doing my work. But when I put myself in that situation where I felt like it was more difficult to connect. I was also thinking like, well, Hey, like these people won't come here with me in this place of like, like non-judgment or like not talking about others or whatever, you know? Um, and I'm not saying everybody, I'm just saying like, overall I had that experience. And, and so then I didn't connect as much. So I had also placed judgment on the Um, fact that it was difficult for the people who I was asking to join me to not be able to join me. But there was something else that you spoke to and it's like, yeah, but there was also this part of me that because I'm going to this more vulnerable place, um, it was more difficult for me to stay there because I was afraid of judgment. Right. So like, so there's like this, which I didn't for whatever reason in all of my reflection and like, connect until you just spoke. So mm. I think that there's something, I think that there's something there. Yeah. Well, I love your reflections, Nicole. I, I, yeah. There, I benefit hearing your reflections. Uh, even if you're reflecting, uh, what I said, you're reflecting, you know, your, your experience of what I said, which gives me a, a great new experience of what I said, because I'm experiencing what you said is beautiful. And, and <laughs> one, something that your message brings up for me is the idea when we, when we're coming from a more vulnerability, uh, based place in our relationships, which means coming from a place that offers a real connection, not just a superficial connection, we risk loneliness. Mm-hmm. We risk rejection. Mm-hmm. I, I think it would be very wonderful, yet very fairy tale for us to say, if we're willing to be vulnerable, then everybody else will meet us in that space too. The truth is, uh, not everybody will. Yeah. So if a, if a person you know who's on their own journey in their own time, is only able or willing to come from a, you know, a connecting through uh, pain, uh, even though we might be smiling, but if they're only <laughs> able and willing to connect through pain and that's all they have to offer, then when we're coming from a place of vulnerability, we realize we don't get connection to them. That's what right. we do get is connection to ourselves. And here's the other interesting thing that, you know, and I'm in my head, you know, analyzing this. So it makes it all easy and feels safe to me because I'm not in my heart right now doing it. But anyway, still my head talk wants to say the benefit we give ourselves when we're willing to risk that judgment, the rejection and risking loneliness, uh, which by the way, we'll definitely encounter all of those. It's not a question. Will we? It's like, yeah, we will just how much, how often, and are we willing to go through that fear rather than avoiding the fear? So, but the, the thing we do when we do come from a place of vulnerability is we are now available for a deeper connection 
with people who are in that same space. Mm, yeah. But when, when we play it shallow in order to appease the uh, availability of the familiar people in our lives, we realize, well, I'm coming from a shallow place, which means uh, heart-centered people who, you know, they're around, trust me, uh, they're, they're not going to be able to connect with me in a, a deep, meaningful way. In other words, I'm not available for them right. if I'm playing at shallow. right. So it's kind of like, you know, we, we have to go vulnerable in order to find other vulnerable people. And our eyes will tell us, well, they're not around. Right. I don't see anybody. Everybody's all caught up, and <laughs> you know, I, I think we really see where we're at. You know, I, I, wherever we're functioning, we look around, and that's all we see. Yeah, that's the lens. That that is the lens. I love that you're speaking to this because it's kind of like bringing in like. Um, some layer of like manifestation, right? I mean, like not, not in the way in which, um, it's been, I guess, publicized, but, um, in our conscious and like in our paradigm of thought, but like, yeah, if you're in your heart space, then you're not available. So then those who are in their heart space won't connect. And like, it's like, you can't kind of switch back. Like you can't, you have to be in that space. It's like more difficult to switch from, um, headspace to heart space, then maintain I think well okay wait like I have a lot to say about this so like I I mean I'm just like calculating I'm in my headspace right now (laughs) um thinking about like when when I'm in my heart space how differently I am in the world and how often I'm in my headspace when I'm connecting in a more superficial Way and how my heart is kind of actually shut down because I'm I'm hurting like myself in some ways when I'm connecting from that space and and how if I were so could you speak to maybe a little bit um, because it sounds like you have a little you have a firm kind of grasp on this and then this is something this is still like something I've been playing with I haven't like yet. Uh, mastered it at all. I feel like I kind of open up my heart space and then I get scared shitless. Like, um, and I, and I really, I honestly, I feel like a little, like a little bunny that wants to like just burrow in a hole or something. Um, and so, and what comes up for me majorly most of the time when I go, like the vulnerability is not difficult. The abandonment aspect is, um, And so, like, what would you say about the attachment piece that kind of, I think, comes from, like, a a more primal place of uh, needs needing to be met that kind of has, or what I'm noticing for me and others that I work with, like, a grip on being able to stay in that heart space because it becomes a survival response? Yeah, yeah, I think that's an incredibly wise perspective, and it's definitely true for me that we we do have a survival programming that says I need to be attached to people, and my survival depends on it. and And I think that's incredibly, literally true for us as children. We we need to be attached, and we need others to be attached to us, or else we simply won't survive. I mean, you, no no one year old uh, is able to provide for itself 
you know, they would starve or just, you know, be taken by a, you know, whatever, the squirrel, the local neighborhood squirrel would, you know, take us out. Right. <laughs> so our life literally depends on attachment. And in that survival program of attachment, it has nothing to do with attach only to heart-centered loving people. No. It has to do with attach to mom and dad and or our primary caregivers. They can be incredibly abusive. They can be incredibly loving. Anywhere in between. And our survival program says attach to them. So when we learn what that connection to mom and dad feels like, no matter how shallow or deep or both at different times, then what we're looking to do is trying to replicate the sensation of that familiar attachment connection. Ooh, I love that you're going into like the somatic aspect of this. Thank you. Yeah, for sure. You know, our, our connection, you know, what we're looking for, we're not walking around analyzing, trying, well, how can I make, you know, replicate this connection? No, we're looking for the sensations so what feels familiar, and the word familiar, of course, comes from family. So what feels like our family? Mm-hmm. And and that's our self-preservation instinct. It really is. And then we're cursed with this blessing called our self-realization instinct. And, you know, our self-preservation instinct is derived to make us survive, not to make us happy, yeah. not to make us, not to give us inner peace. In fact, the when we allow our life to be dictated by our self-preservation instinct, you know, after we've survived our childhood and now we're to the point in our adulthood where we literally can survive on our own. Right. We're not going to starve. We're not going to die in any way because our parents aren't looking out for us. But if we stay attached to the self-preservation instinct and keep worshiping it, then we will survive and that will evaporate our peace. Mm-hmm. Uh, hmm. So there, there's, I think the, the proverbial hero's journey has a lot to do with we're going from a place of worshiping our self-preservation instinct to a place of serving our self-realization mm. instinct. And our self-realization instinct, in my opinion, basically says we have to be willing to encounter the sensations of being scared to death in order to live. Yeah. And Whoa. you know, the, the being scared to death basically means we have to unattach to what we attach to originally, you know, the familiar sensations of the connection to our family, we have to unattach to that or unattach from that, which means our inner child is going to feel like it's uh, uh, letting its light, its grip on life. It has to feel like it's letting it go. Yeah. You mean if I'm not being a people pleaser, which is one of the ways I learned to create a familiar sensation of attachment mm-hmm. to people around me. So if I'm not being a people pleaser and instead I'm being true to myself, which is much more self-realization oriented, mm-hmm. you mean I'm not going to die, even <laughs> though it feels like I'm going to die. Yeah. So, you know, I, I think the journey of uh, consciousness in our adulthood has to do with being willing to betray our self-preservation instinct Mm. in order to honor our self-realization call to the adventure of our own self. 
I think being stuck in self-preservation mindset uh, keeps us from ourselves. But being willing to go beyond that is what allows us to actually go into ourselves. Uh, really the mystery of who we are, not the familiarity of who we uh, have always thought we were. Yeah, this is... And, and that's a scary journey. Yeah, I, I like... I. I don't know if you're familiar with the term reframe, but like um, in therapy, we often have use reframes. Like, so somebody's having an experience, but then like you kind of like reframe it in another way. So like it can be more, uh, it can be held maybe in a healthier way or something like that. And I feel like what you just did was a serious reframe. So like, I also am a people pleaser. Are you, um, are you familiar with the Enneagram? Uh, uh, Let's just say no. I, I know of it. I've taken the <laughs> test, but it's been long enough and out of mind and long enough that I'm pretty ignorant even to what my numbers were. Oh, okay. So so anyway, I'm just thinking that maybe you're a two because you're a people pleaser. I'm a two. And um, I we, we just did it in school, so I'm familiar through school. But um, and oh, and I wanted to ask you earlier, are you Sagittarius as well? No, I'm an Aries. An Aries. Okay. Um, just because you said something earlier. I can't remember. I'm like, oh, I wonder if he's a Sag. Uh, so anyway, <laughs> I digress. Um, <laughs> like what – so I feel like I have been going through like this deep journey of like uh, unpacking the things that I do in – like not in my center but like – out of attachment or uh, being unconscious or just patterned or whatever. And people pleasing is one of them. And I'm, I'm like, was co- I'm codependent, which also feeds into the people ple- pleasing thing, which I'm working on and I'm doing really well with like this, er- this avenue of like healing and stepping more into myself and being more empowered. And uh, something you said, and I don't know why, and I think that this is because I always want rainbows at the end, right? I want unicorns and rainbows, and I just want, like, I mean, cotton candy. I don't want to eat the cotton candy. I just want to kind of, like, fall in it for some reason. And it feels like clouds, like pink, fluffy cotton candy clouds. But um, I'm always looking for that. And so, like, something about, something about like, I, I just keep on thinking it should be easy. Like, <laughs> I don't know why, but I just, and like the reframe of what you just did was like, yeah, we have, we have to be able to sit in like the fear in order to like go into the self-realization more. And, um, and I kind of like, I just kind of, I just, um, what you just said, I'll, I don't generally listen to my podcast after I podcast them because, um, listening to myself is kind of weird. Um, and, and then I sometimes I will, but I do a comedy consciousness um, podcast with my dear friend Ryan Weekly, where he listens to the podcast and then he talks about what he learned from the podcast, and then we kind of unpack it and we both get vulnerable with our feelings. And a few times I listen to myself, and so like we have jokes of like, "Wow, that's deep. That's par. That's a paradox. That's powerful. Like things like that." So I don't listen, but I feel like I want to listen to this podcast a couple different times because I feel like you, you said some things that 
and you just said them, right? Like it was like stringing sentences of like just one of those sentences could be unpacked in, in many different ways. And, and you did it with several sentences that like were probably a couple paragraphs if we're, if I were to type them out that like really unpack this like attachment to self-preservation um, and then your journey into like freeing yourself really. And um, thank you. I mean, I pre- I appreciate oh, your wise words. It felt it. It feels like you really have um, some type of gift you're tapped into, and I appreciate you sharing it. Oh well, thank you, Nicole. I I appreciate you seeing my gift um, or hallucinating that my gift is there while I <laughs> hallucinate appreciation about it. I, I really do appreciate that. Well, if it's a hallucination, I like it. <laughs> yeah, me too. It, it may be like what's not a hallucination. We can maybe consider that in life as well, but yeah. nonetheless. Yeah. Yeah, seriously, what's not? Like seriously. I, I don't know. I go there I go there sometimes too. Yeah, I mean they they, whoever they are, probably quantum physicists because they sound that's like a very important sounding title. But you know, it's <laughs> like you look at the desk or the table or floor uh, right in front of you beneath your feet and they say that's that solid matter is ninety nine point nine 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 percent empty space. I know, I know. So like wow, that's a pretty trippy illusion. Like this my desk in front of me actually looks solid that's how much I'm tripping right now (laughs) I know know. it is pretty interesting I don't know I I go back and forth like my that's one of those things that I like I love quantum physics I wish I could do the math like I mean I love the theory so much that I wish I could do the math but math is not my thing neither is spelling or reading um (laughs) I'm just kidding uh but like seriously like sometimes like the theory all I'm just like whoa what the hell and I feel like I get it and then I'm just like no it's a table in front of me I like it's like my psyche can't handle it (laughs) yeah yeah I I I do the same and I don't don't know who it was probably a lot of wise people throughout the ages say uh, you know everything is an illusion Mm -hmm. and if that's true then illusions would just be an illusion as well and and I think what that really means to me is like it, as delusional as this reality might be, it's our reality. That's and, right. And who who says that illusions are any less meaningful than non-illusions? And and I would dare say maybe there we we're so delusional. You know, we think this is a solid matter. My sense of self, which probably has nothing to do with my real self. Uh, you know, it's my sense of self, and as delusional as it might be, it's meaningful because it's my perspective of me. Mm. It's my perspective of reality. So I think there's great meaning in illusions, and mm. I, I I use the term delusional all the time, and I I joke around with it, and and to me that's that's a way of acknowledging it's there like i am a very delusional person <laughs> and i'm not going to apologize for my delusions i'm going to appreciate the living heck out of them and not discount them just yeah. because they're illusions i think that would be like 
discounting the very nature of life. Yeah. Wow. That's really beautiful. Wow. I mean, like, yeah, like, regardless if it is, right? Like, we can't, we, we figure out, we find out that oh, you're right, that this is all like maybe not real. Like, but my experience, which is years of experience now, is real, like, right now to me, regardless. So, yeah, yeah that's really, yeah, that's a really cool. I think that feels like whole. Like, and I feel like you speak in paradox and you like really hold the paradox and you've made a lot of, um, like a lot of your skits around paradoxes. And it also seems like you've mentioned a few different paradoxical, um, things even within this talk. And like, I feel like that's one of them, right? Like you just named another. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Very cool. Well, I really can't thank you enough for taking the time today to do this with me. And I feel like the podcast, the whole intention behind it was I just wanted to be able to um, give messages out into the world for free for people who need them. And um, I really like want to just be in service um, to others and Um, I really appreciate that not knowing me, you kind of just decided that this was something you were going to do and you're supporting me on this journey to like help others find healing in some way. And um, I just want to say I like super appreciate the support and thank you so very much for your time. And um, anybody who's interested, could you please... Go ahead on to any of my social media like me. And my intention is that I'll get enough followers in the future that I'll be able to do this for free always and have some passive income coming in with maybe um, advertisement or something of that nature. So this will be um, something that I can continue doing with my time as a single mom and a full-time worker and a podcaster. So um, thank you very much. I really appreciate it. And I don't know if you'd be interested, but my whole my whole thing is like I'm going to um, kind of touch base with people who've been on my podcast and maybe go a layer deeper where they are and do more sharing. So in the future, if you would be interested in doing another podcast, maybe in like six months, I would love to explore where you are. Yeah, well, that'd be awesome, Nicole. I would love to. And, and thank you for having me on. Uh, for this round, and uh, my delusional judgment of you is you're an absolutely delightful person. I enjoy <laughs> talking with you. Thank you. You're hysterical. So, everybody, you have to follow, you have to go out to awakenwithjp.com, and I will add all his social media links so you guys can see all of his funny skits. They're hysterical. You've been making me laugh all through the years. I think I've, I started watching you like maybe a year and a half ago or maybe two years ago. When did you start that? But the comedy videos I started about two and a half years ago. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well, I somehow found you like a year and a half or two years ago, and it's just hysterical. So follow, go check them out, and um, follow me. And thank you, Coleology. Uh, Have a wonderful day.